there was pressure, but it was also just having to get into that objective space of, yeah, what is the story we're trying to tell? Yeah. You know, both whoever's on the podcast, but also thinking about it as a whole. What is the overall goal of Collective of this podcast as part of Collective? And then how do those two things combine? Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast that we started a little over a year ago at Collective Church, where people sit down and share their stories. They talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs and the lows, and ultimately how they've seen God moving in their life or how they've seen God move in their life. And we are moving toward the end of the first season of this podcast. We actually just announced a few weeks ago that uh, we want to keep it going. And so we'll have a season two that'll come out in 2024. We will not do weekly episodes. Uh, That was a season one adventure. Season two, we'll do monthly episodes. And so um, one, the good news is that this series isn't over. Um, But two, if you're interested in sharing your story, we'd love to talk to you about that. And there's two ways you can sign up to do that. The first is going to www.mycollective.church slash YSM or open up your church center app, scroll down to the bottom, hit your story matters, and you can sign up there. We want to continue to tell stories and we want to continue to create space for people to share about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. Um, For today, though, I'm really excited. Um, This is an episode we've been planning from the very beginning uh, as we head toward the end of this season. I'm sitting with Robin, who um, you all probably don't know this. If you've recorded on the podcast, you do. But for those of you listening, Robin has been editing this entire thing. And so she's the person behind the product that goes out, the content that goes out. Um, Robin has been a part of Collective since the very beginning, part of the creative team here, sermon series and new videos and the interview videos we do or just like the fun videos we do. Robin has been behind the scenes on all of it. And so when we went to edit this podcast and we wrestled with, you know, do we do that? As a staff, do I do that, which would have been a terrible decision. Uh, It was really easy to ask you, Robin, to say, hey, will you edit this podcast? One, because you're very good at it. You're a podcaster yourself. I am. Um, But two, we knew you would honor the stories that were being shared. And we knew that you would handle it with so much care. And so every episode that you've heard through this season has you know been me sitting out with people and then handing it off to Robin so that she can edit it and clean it up and mostly just take out a lot of the random things that I added to the podcast that didn't need to be added to the podcast so that you guys could have the experience you have listening. And um, Robin, you've done an incredible job. Um, there were very few episodes that eventually came back to me that even I had feedback on. You've done just an incredible job. And so... I'll start by saying thank you. And, I, and on behalf of everybody who recorded, you've crushed it. <laughs> thank you. um, but I'm excited for you to share some of your story today and also to talk about what the process was like editing because um, a lot of people hear this, these stories for the first time and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. And you got that same experience, but it was different. You know, it wasn't on a Thursday afternoon. It was in your editing suite trying to figure out how to put this story together. So we're going to start with the same question, though, that we ask everybody. Tell us about your childhood, where did you grow up, um, and then specifically, what was faith like in that childhood? So I'm a, I'm a local girl, um, grew up in Maryland, have lived in Maryland my entire life. I am an only child. I had a great relationship with both my parents. I felt loved. Where I struggled is socially, intense social anxiety from a very, very, very young age. 
And it was that I would get into conversation with my classmates or other kids or my neighbors, and it would suddenly be like, oh, you're kind of odd. But I missed a lot of those cues. I guess you could say I missed a lot of social cues when sure. I was when I was young. And so, but I never really knew as a kid what it was that was deterring my, you know, fellow kids. And so as a result of that, it sort of made me feel like through my childhood and through into my teen years and into my early adulthood that I was the problem. Sure. Like I was the sure. weird one. As Also as a result of that, I didn't really have friends. Like, and it was never, I mean, I, I had an occasional experience here and there with some bullying, but not not really. It was sort of the, just kind of walking through life, not really feeling like I belonged anywhere. Sure. sure. You know, the only place I ever felt like I really felt like safe and comfortable was in my own home. I I didn't really do a lot of the typically social things. I didn't do, I didn't do big social events like dances. I, I don't, I also really don't, I'm very sensitive to noise. So I didn't tend to like going to dances because it was too loud. It was too many people. It was too much stimulus. And I didn't go to games. I didn't do, I really didn't get involved in any sort of social activities, which I look back and I'm like, I wish I had because I was from as long as I can remember, I've also always been a creative and highly imaginative person. Like I didn't get involved in like AV club, which now I really wish I had, but I struggled so much socially that I look back at that and think like, well, I didn't want to do anything that associated me with anything more odd or not not cool or whatever so the main thing was it just made me feel like I never really belonged and not in any way that I I I sort of internalize this belief that no one really wanted me around sure yeah not to like a self-harm place it was just more like nah like if if I'm around people are putting up with me they're doing me a kind service and a kind favor by letting me hang out with them and that's still that's still a battle I fight wow. even today. Yeah. You know, like no one really seeks out my company other than my parents, sure. pretty much. You know, I include, you know, my stepfather in that yeah. as well, yeah. uh, Shane. So I remember hearing a quote from one of my favorite comedians a while ago, and she said, it's kind of like being the only sober person in a room full of drunks or vice versa. You know, everyone's operating on a wavelength you can't quite keep sure. into. Yeah. And that... When I heard that, I went, yes, that is definitely what my experience as a kid and as a teenager really felt like. Yeah, I think oftentimes we think of belonging, we think of like us being in a large group of people and everybody's getting along. And that's fine. I think that's culturally like how it's built specifically as we grow up, right? You you mentioned dances and it's like, oh, belonging is we all go to the dance, Mm -hmm. you know, and whether you have a date or not, or whether you go solo, but it's like either way, we're all having and enjoying this thing together and it's great. And I think as we get older, we really realize like belonging is just like people want me around. People want me to be there. They enjoy my presence. You know, it's less about can I be one of 30, 40, 50? And it's, hey, like if I, was, if I wasn't here, would people notice? Mm-hmm. You know, and not in the dramatic, like I'm gonna stop going to see if they notice. It's just a, man, I just want people to know me, see me, you know, understand parts of me and understanding that like, you know, the big things aren't my jam, you know, and that's okay. And there's like a, a, the belonging sense is like, they uniquely understand who you are as a person. And what's hard is like we kind of grow up where there's not a ton of space to be unique as a person and find other unique people. There's a lot of people who've shared on this podcast who are more creative people. As much as I think social media is pretty toxic, it is great for the creatives out there, but we did not grow up with that. And the creatives weren't celebrated the way they are now. And even now I would say it's probably not as much as it should be. You know, we still don't appreciate art the way that, that we we could. But, you know, that idea of belonging. So before we get to past, like, the high school and, like, college age stuff, what was faith like growing up? So I mentioned all of the social stuff because it that actually really impacted my faith experience as well because I struggled 
to go to school every day and that sense of like it's just something I have to get through and then you go to Sunday school it's all social yeah yeah so I felt like having to kind of deal with and manage that really affected my ability to be able to be present and absorb what was happening in sure. in church. Now, I will say I had a much better experience because we did go to a non-denominational church for the early part of my life. It's a little fuzzy about when when we stopped going. I know that there was it had to do with some some stuff as regards like leadership or whatever. Nothing nothing too terrible. Just I think leadership changed and it just wasn't quite the same anymore mm-hmm. or something, but both my parents were very involved there. And my mom has always been a very very faith-filled person. Mm-hmm. She has yep. had a very personal and very deep relationship with Jesus for as I mean as long as I can remember. My dad was a lot more private about that. I don't really know sure. actually. That's something that, you know, I I kind of wish I'd had yeah. that's a deep regret of mine is not get having had that conversation, but they both were very involved there and so it was as much as I didn't love going, it was part of our routine it was what we did on Sunday mornings and I was like well I'm the problem so I just have to deal like and so but I loved going into the sanctuary for the for the lesson because it was quiet there was no socializing it was like you come you sit and you listen and and then you left and there was a little bit of social you know with other adults you know if I was in there but that was preferable to having to go be around a bunch of other kids yeah we stopped going eventually I will also say that throughout my life, every like six years, six to eight years or so, I would have these experiences with whoever I was attempting to be friends with at the time, where they would either try to have me like come with them to their church, or they would try to bring me into their, and it, it never went well. It was always a case of Here's all the ways that you're wrong. Sure. And also, here's what you kind of just have to intuitively know. Sure. And that was the thing. I already felt like socially I was playing at a disadvantage. I felt like there was some sort of handbook that everybody else had about how to do social interaction and that I just did not have. And I was like, I don't have these prerequisites. And then faith very much felt the same way. And it was like, you just have to kind of come into the world with these certain instincts and pieces of information and if you come into it too late it's too late i always believed in god and i always was was like yep jesus is there but inaccessible i mean in spite of the fact that like my mom talked about about her faith and about jesus often and i totally believed everything she said but it was like it's just not I can't get there. It's not for me. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because I feel like a lot of the way we talk about Jesus, especially to kids, and, and I've made fun of this on stage before. I made fun of it on the podcast where people are like, Jesus is my friend. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, Jesus is our friend. Like, I guess at like a high level, like, I think that phrasing makes sense. But when you're a kid and a student who struggles to make friends, when that is the terminology to describe Jesus, it's like, cool, I don't really have friends or the friends I do have seem to have a catch to them. Like, and that is a hard, a hard thing specifically for people who like are more introverted or, um, struggle with kind of the expectations of social norms, like whatever it is, which again, like even that's subjective. And I think it's gotten better as we've gotten older where, we are more aware, like when we think about collective kids, we know there's a lot There's a lot of kids back there where like that is like a thriving environment for them, but we have a few kids where like it's hard. And so we have to make sure that we have volunteers just to help some of the kids where there are noise issues or kids that socially are just really, really introverted. And instead of being like, your kid's quiet, therefore something's wrong, it's like, yeah, they're introverted kids. But that's that's a tough thing when that friendship terminology, that relationship terminology, kind of some of that community-driven terminology, which like biblically, like community is such a huge part of the church and our faith, that has to be tough when there's conflict in that for you. So is that how you felt through like your teenage years, like high school years? Through high school, a lot of that same, you know, I want to hide who I am, 
faith feels like this faraway thing, having these experiences where I would go to other people's churches and have actually, frankly, very upsetting experiences. It just made me kind of go more and more inwards. Not in, I mean, in high school, I was painfully shy, but I also really longed for community. I longed for those close friendships. I longed for, I mean, doing creative collaboration is probably my favorite thing in the world. And so no one wanted that. Like I just did not find creative partners. And so as I became a teenager and then I decided, made the decision to go to film school or go to college and study film. When I got to college, then I was behind everyone because then I because I'd been hiding all of sure, that and doing sure. it all in isolation. I then get to college and like everyone is so much more knowledgeable than me. So I'm still out of place and I still struggle to find any kind of place where I fit. Eventually when I graduated from college, I was I ended up doing an independent project and that didn't end well. But by that time I had started to actually in small incremental pieces start taking down some of those barriers and I had started to form friendships including you know one with the the person that I call my best friend today and like we met in college and it was in because it was finally like in college I was able to go to these film classes it was like no one was telling us this was this was stupid like and these are jobs like this is you know you can actually have a career in 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 these in these fields so I graduated in December of 2008. I missed being in school. I missed being able to work on creative projects, you know, at all times. But I was creating these relationships outside of college. And eventually that led me to this independent project that I did that I started to make friends, really, for the first time. And I, that was where I started to get into Dungeons and Dragons. That yep. was where I got into cosplay. And it was like, wow. But like, you know, I was still kind of odd. I didn't, I, I don't really date. And I don't, still don't do a lot of the traditional social things. I don't go to bars because it's too loud. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, I was starting to form these relationships. But this, this project we did, it was the first like real thing we did. And it didn't end well. And I was not doing super great. But I, I started noticing how this group of friends that I had, they all either went to the same church or, and a lot of them did, or they were, they had gone to the same churches. So they were all on the same page sure. of being kind of at the same place in their faith. And I, I was like, I think I want that. Wow. The deepest sense of community that I had seen, but I did not feel like I belonged in it. Okay. And it was this thing where like things would happen or they would be like, hey, I think we're going to, this thing happened, let's pray together. And I was just like, wow, suddenly I am, of, I'm not part of this group. Okay. And so, because I don't, I don't know how to do this. Sure. And so I thought, but I thought, all right. I mean, honestly, to some degree, that's a little bit of a blur. I don't fully remember, like, making the conscious decision. It just suddenly, the next real big part of my memory is going, I think I want to maybe start going back to church. And we started going, my my mom and I started going to the Frederick chapter of the church that I had, we had gone to when I was growing up. But, like, it just wasn't it. And I, I did, I went to a couple different places apart from that, but it was like everywhere I went, there really wasn't a sense of like, oh, I could find a community for me. Like everyone was yeah. either yep. much younger or much older. Yep. And then I happened to start working for Duo Media Productions. And I said, hey, I know you guys are connected to Manor Woods because Duo Media Productions was Brian and Karen Pennington. Yeah. And I said, I might be doing some shirt shopping. So if you know of any churches up here, that might be worth checking out. And they I remember Karen like looking over her shoulder at Brian and going, Well, funny you should say that yeah. <laughs> because we were gonna ask if you'd be willing to work on a Sunday morning yeah. to go and film and record video for these preview services for a church that we and Manor Woods are helping to yep. get planted up here yep. called Collective. Yeah. And you, so one of the things we did in the beginning was we wanted to show people what Collective would look like before we actually launched. And so we did these preview services. We had met Brian and Karen through another pastor who, uh, the guy named Dyke McCord, who's the lead pastor of Church of Christ at Manor Woods, which is where Brian and Karen went. Um, Chris and Bethany, Bethany grew up there. You know, she shared that on her her episode. And I didn't, we didn't know video people. I like know enough, but I was like, I'm preaching, can't do that. 
And so we did these four preview services and you and Brian and Karen at varying different times, like came and filmed these preview services for us so that we could put together like a quick 45 second highlight reel to say, Hey, this church is, is starting. What's crazy is that we didn't really understand. I, I never imagined having duo come and do those videos would lead to you guys being a part of collective, you know? And I, I, it was never a, Oh, this is how we, we get them here. It was, we need video help. We'd seen some of the stuff that you guys had put together, which was great. But also we knew that you guys, you know, specifically had done work with churches in the past. So it's like, you, I don't have to explain to you what we're doing. Like you for the, you were at our preview services. So like we joke that like you, you officially like leaned in a little bit later, but like you've, you've seen behind the scenes since the beginning. Um, you met a bunch of people, which at that point we were all very new. So in the beginning, especially there's a lot of like, I think feeling each other out is like the right phrase where nobody's malicious. Nobody's trying to hurt each other, but we were all very like guarded and there is a little bit of distance. Um, and everyone's like super excited to like have people just around, but it was a job. I know eventually, actually pretty quickly after Brian and Karen did the same thing where they filmed a little bit, put together the reel for us. Um, they were like, oh man, I think this is the church we want to be a part of. And at that point, Brian and Karen shared on their episode, Dyke had already told them, you need to be a part of Collective. You live in Frederick. That's your community at the time, you know, six or seven years ago, early 30s, which is what our age, mostly in the beginning, especially everybody was like early 30s. Mm-hmm. And so Brian and Karen were like, oh, this is a good community. And it was hard for them to leave their previous church community because they have so many roots there. But for their life now, Collective was the right fit. And so pretty much like immediately they were like, we're leaning in. Um, but for you, it really wasn't that way, at least for a little bit. And so one, what was seeing the preview services like? Because again, you saw it from behind the scenes. Every So much of what you've done at Collective is just seeing it from a different perspective. And then two, eventually you're like, okay, I'm going to start coming to this church and see what this is like. So, so talk us through that. I look at the way that all of that came together and I just... I, I mean, I've heard a lot of this throughout this throughout the podcast itself. It's just like, wow, that was so that was so orchestrated directly yeah. from God. Because by going and doing the preview services with that camera in my, in front of me, I actually was able to be present. I was it, it took away my social anxiety. Yeah, maybe not feeling like I belonged right away, but also kind of as you said, I felt welcome. Good. Yeah. And I don't even know if I was fully conscious of that. I just kind of liked the vibe. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, and you know, all the things that people have already said, I liked, you know, the band, I liked, you know, the worship, I liked I liked you, I liked all of the connections team and I was socially very nervous. I had a lot of social anxiety too, but it didn't it didn't impede the feeling of being there. Yeah. One of my earliest experiences that really made a huge impact was being, I had gone, I think it was like the second or third preview service that we did. I went I, and I, it's funny because my impulse is to say it was a second service. There was no second yeah. service yet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I went all the way to the back of the gym because I really wanted, I was, I was trying to think, what do we not have? Like what's, what's a shot we don't have yet? And so I went all the way to the back because I want, and I was kind of camped out back there because I was like, I want to get a shot of like, thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. And then getting everybody standing up and then walking out. And so I was kind of hanging out in the back. And I remember Rachel coming up to me with a communion tray because yeah. that was back when we still did the trays mm-hmm. with communion. And she approached and she said, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, did you want communion? And I remember just being so impacted by that small gesture mm. because it didn't feel like, you want communion, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it also didn't feel like, I don't know, just something about Rachel being Rachel. Like it, I, yeah, I felt included, not pressured, not yeah. judged. And it was just, that was a very new, wildly new experience. That sense was what I got from Collective from the jump. Yeah. And then I think I just, I started coming and eventually my mom started coming yeah. and eventually Shane, my stepdad started coming and and I don't remember what made me decide to join the team or start going to the weekly collectives, yeah. but those were the two things I did. And I think I did them pretty close together. Yeah. Now, part of that too was, I think around that time was when collective got 
the offices with Duo. Yeah, And yeah. so to some degree, it was like, I had a very different dynamic, you know, like the Penningtons, I had a very different dynamic with Collective than a lot of other people who went because I also saw you guys like Every three day. days. A- yeah. yeah, like, I mean, yeah, yeah it was so partly when I talked about wanting to join the team, I think I might've even said either to you or to someone else, like, I want to do this, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I could possibly serve. And then I talked to Danielle and she said, coffee host, yeah. let's put you on coffee host. Cause you don't have to talk to people yeah. much, yeah. <laughs> but you can, you know, and then I did, I served on as a coffee host for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and yeah. weeks. So it became routine, but working together on a thing, it made me, less dis- uncomfortable yeah. and it was it was a way that I could let some of those guards down and be like no I'm part of this community in earnest and in that way I was able to start being more open and I felt eventually it got to the point where like I think collective might be the first place that I have ever felt like I belonged outside of my own home wow. and that I don't think I was fully aware of that until around the time of my baptism and then particularly after that yeah yeah it's funny because i remember us having you and i having a conversation about when you were like hey i'm ready to join the team and we talked about like well you could do tech stuff because that's kind of your sweet spot and you were like no i think i want to do connections and it was you deciding like consciously like i want to be uncomfortable but i also want to be in a role that helps other people who might be uncomfortable. And, and what people don't know, people just think coffee's coffee, and it's not. <laughs> like, it's just not. Yeah. One, it's super structured, uh-huh. right? Which, and <laughs> I like, never thought about that. It's, it is. It's, it's so structured. I wonder I like There it. are good boundaries with coffee. Um, what's funny is, like, when we moved into this building, you helped us develop kind of a system of, like, how do we inventory things? How do we – but but – what people, I think, sometimes miss, at least with Collective, when we do coffee, it's for those people who show up. Yes, there are people who show up late and don't have coffee with them. But it's also because if you show up early and you don't know what to do, you go get coffee. Yep. And so people will look at it and be like, oh, well, it's just coffee. But the people that we have that serve on that team specifically, they're in that role not to overwhelm you, not to overly engage you. It's to make sure that you get your coffee and make sure that there's somebody there that sees you. And it's interesting because the people that we have that tend to serve on coffee are our more introverted people, mm-hmm. but they see things differently. And, you know, and that's and that's what our intention was in the, in the beginning with coffee at West Frederick when we had to like flip the whole table around. We had this whole coffee cart. Yep. It was it's always been something that's been super intentional, but I think it's even more so intentional now because you as an intentional person we're like, I'm going to take this role. And it was awesome. Uh, eventually, I remember, it, which you reminded me earlier, the fall of 2019 in the duo office. And, you know, because we shared an office with you guys, we talked all the time. Yeah. And some of it was just like talking. Some of it was just like me. I loved it because it's like, hey, I've got this creative idea. And here I am in an office with three creatives. And it's like, let's talk about crazy things. And you guys were a lot of times like a sounding board for collective as we're like, do you think we could do this? Um, but I remember you saying, Hey, I think I want to talk about baptism. And I know when you came to me and said, Hey, I'm interested in having this conversation, knowing you well enough at that point, I was like, she's, she's ready. You ended up getting baptized in November. Yeah. I got baptized on my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one was. Cause when we talked, yeah. I said I was, cause it was early in the year it, when we talked about it, it was like April or May, I think of 2019. Yeah, right. And I said, and you said, so when are you thinking about it? And I said, I know it's a long way off, Yeah. but I'm kind of thinking about maybe around my birthday. And you said, when's your birthday? And you looked it up and you, I remember you looking up at me and saying, it's on a Sunday this year. Yeah. And I went, that seems like, how can I not do that? Yeah. If I was already thinking about it. Yeah. That was, I, that was, that was an incredibly meaningful Sunday. Um, not just because of our friendship and because of the fact that like, you know, so much of collective and what people love about collective is because there's a lot of people behind the scenes that care as much as the people who are not behind the scenes. Like we have this like beautiful both and at collective. Um, but I remember the baptism and it being your birthday and just talking about how like it just feels right. And like what a day 
to say, hey, like, here's an important day for me, but here's how I make this day, like, one of the most important days for me. And, you know, in, in baptism, the Bible talks about it, is it's the old is gone, the new has come. Like, it's new life. And, and for you to do that on your birthday, it was like, it was also, like, I'm not going to lie, it was super emotional for those of us who had known you for a few years because, like, you just had meant so much to Collective. And um, we'd seen you as a person go from a duo employee filming to such a huge part of some of the craziest years of our church. And, you know, when you're portable, you're showing up at seven o'clock in the morning. And it's, it's kind of like what you talk about with film stuff where it's like, Hey, maybe socially we wouldn't all hang out together because we're all so different socially. But like doing that on Sunday morning was like, yo, we're on the same team on this one and we have to do this together. And it felt like a big traveling circus. I used to, I used to say that all the time. And (laughs) that's good. And I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm, I I feel like it's come up at some point on the podcast, but I was so good. I, I kind of miss those days. Like I just, yeah, yeah, I really do. The hard thing with collective and, and you and I have talked about this a ton because, you know, you get baptized, collectives in their capital campaign, and like we're just, everything's hitting, everything's hitting, and then COVID hits. And one of the hard things about Portable, and I think a lot of the reason why we all have that like part of our heart, as hard as it was, I mean, there were Sundays we showed up and the locks were frozen and we're pouring water on them to try to unlock the trailer. It's because we never had our last one. Yep. You know, COVID took that away from us. And so we never had closure. And I would say like going back to even what Karen Leggett shared, many episodes ago about grief like we never really grieved the end of that era Mm -hmm. because covid yep so covid hits and you know everything pivots pretty quickly it was you know me um john allen who was our worship leader at the time some of our tech leaders but then duo who'd always been doing stuff but like this was now like hey guys we have to figure out how to carry this church through the next, what we thought was a few months, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It kind of forced you back behind the scenes again because you were a huge part of Collective Online. We don't get through Collective Online without you, but it was isolating, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, for people who are, don't know, Robin, you probably edited 90% of it. Uh, Brian and Karen edited, they got, they kind of got it set up and then I took it over I think three sermons in two or three maybe four it was early but they they definitely put the structure in place and then they kind of they kind of passed it to me yeah you know and again we're not in the office anymore we still had an office there but like no one's in the office a lot of our interaction a lot of your I would say a lot of your collective interaction is me or John Allen on a Saturday handing off a hard drive, you know, and placing it on a table. Because at the time it was like, we don't know, you know, this is a few weeks in, like, you know, everyone at that time was like, bleach your food, like all that stuff. And it's like, it it was this really weird thing where, at least for me, for someone that I've seen almost every single day for like two years, all of a sudden it's like a wave through a window and like a text message. And all 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 the stuff that you push through and all the things, all the discomfort that you push through, COVID. Yeah. One of the few good things I can say about that time is that it that was what made me aware of how much I actually had a community because suddenly it was gone. I only attended one recording of the, of the yep. online. More, like one of the first ones. One of the first ones. Yeah. We were at the GOG by that point. And it was that night that I got my first text from my dad saying that he didn't feel well. The short version is that my dad died on April 1st of 2020. I had only been living not in my, in my mom's home for about, I think, a year or two years at that point. I think I moved out in 2018. We still got along, like I was saving, but I had only moved out very, I'd only been a year or two out from not living with my family. Yep. And so I was living with a with a roommate but we didn't know each other. She had had her room for rent and then we became friends, but like we weren't super close. So in a weird way, even though her presence at the time was a big part of, I think probably what did help me not feel totally alone, I felt totally alone. Yeah. I mean, I kind of look back and feel like I'd lived alone during that time yeah. um, because I didn't have pets. I didn't have a significant other. I didn't have family. 
something from when I was, you know, kind of going back to when I was a kid, like I, I wanted that community, but I could do alone. I was actually sure. okay on my sure. own. This was different. I was by myself when I got the call that he had passed. I wasn't there. I wasn't able to be there because it was so early. Yeah. At this point, I'm still not totally convinced that he didn't die from COVID. Sure. I, I mean, I was re- in really, really, really bad way. I, even though working on Collective Online was this weird, like, like it was both a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways because I, on top of all of that, I used to say prior to 2019 that like one of my most irrational fears was plague. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember we talked about that. Uh-huh. I was terrified. I mean, I don't think I've, for me, 2020 was the worst year of my life. Yeah. Um, I couldn't be alone with my own thoughts. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. I was doing this thing of like, I would try to fall asleep. You know that sensation that you get when like you're in a dream and then like you, you know, you go off the edge of a cliff or something and you, you, know, you yeah. jump awake. Yeah. That was happening before I could fall asleep. I would be like right about to fall asleep and I'd get that jolt like in yeah. my chest. Yeah. And it was like, I wasn't allowing myself to relax. I was terrified of my own grief. I, I could not be... So I was getting two hours a night, if that. So I was I was by myself all day, every day. Because even like if I would be on the phone with somebody, it was like the phone call would eventually end. I was not communicating to people how not okay I was. I was putting up this front of like, no, I'm managing, I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I'm sad, but I'm fine. Because I, I knew that being around people or telling people how much I was struggling would a it would make it more real somehow it would make it harder for me to deal and just manage or it would make it would just I would become more of a burden because then they'd want to they'd either want to come over and I'm like that terrified me because I'm like I can't I can't with collective it was like seeing you guys on that screen every week it was like I couldn't process how afraid I was for all of you. I wanted to be there, but I was terrified to be there. And I was just like, what if, what if this is it? What if this is all it is? I mean, when, you know, you or John Allen would bring me that media, that was probably the most in-person interaction I had for all of those months. And even though it scared me, it was like, this is what we have to do. He would always ask me how I was doing. A phrase that we used that it seemed like got used a lot in the first like early episodes of the podcast was this idea of like white knuckling. Yeah, um, yeah. I was white knuckling through those first few months. If I can, ju- if we can just get to the other side of this, I'll deal with all of this then. I'll put it away. I just will have something playing at every moment. But it was like eventually it was starting to catch up to me. Like I don't, I don't think that's this is gonna work. But I didn't see an alternative, and I started flirting with. I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I can live like this. Yeah. The thing that kind of usually deterred me from going too far down that path psychologically, actually I had I had my baptism photo like on my headboard and I would find myself looking at it and I would think about the profession of faith of like what do you believe? Yeah. Okay, if if that's real then then that's real, and that's what I ha- I have to remember that. But still, I got to the point where it crystallized of like, yeah, I think I might want out. I don't I don't think I can do this. And when that thought crystallized, I had this like it like hit me physically that I realized what I had just the point I was at. Sure. Like it it really sunk in. I was like, all right, I need to change my physical space, both in the moment and like overall so the timing of it my best friend she her her landlord was going to sell the home that she was renting and so she and I had talked about being roommates for I mean years and years she has two cats I'm allergic to cats so it was always (laughs) kind of a non-starter and so then when she had to move out she was like I think I'm going to go ahead and buy my first home but I'm going to have to have a tenant she did not approach me with that. And she talked about this for like, I think it had like just happened a few weeks ahead but of when I had this moment. But I like, I went outside, I went for a walk and I just was like, God, show me what, show me what to do. Show me how to, show me how to get off this, this path. Show me what, just help. 
help me. I'm drowning. I don't, I don't know what to do. And then I thought, it doesn't matter what it costs for allergy shots. I need to go and be in a, I need to be able to live with somebody who feels like family. Yep. You know, I mean, she's probably the closest thing I have to a sister. Yep. And so it was like, I, so I contacted her and said, I think, would you be willing to have me be your tenant? I was one of those people that was very slow to, to come back into like interacting. And I, I hesitate even now to use the phrase back to normal. Yeah. Because it's just different. Well, I mean, my normal includes my dad. And I know that that's true for a lot of yep. people who lost, who lost family, friends. I mean, I, I had a number of friends who lost very close friends during that time. And the world is radically different than yep. it was. And I remember eventually it was like, okay. I think maybe I'm ready to come back and serve on the team. I remember John Allen really wanted to have me serve on the production team. I was willing to entertain that idea. And I came to the building myself for the first time. I'd seen it yeah. because, you know, Brian and Karen had been here filming. Yeah. Um, and Collective Online was now in the building yeah. and had yeah, been yeah. Through, through, the, through the build up to the yeah. actual opening. But he'd take, like, I'd come in and we'd, you know, we went into the the, the broadcast booth for yeah. the live stream and I was looking at everything and then we kind of came out and I'm just kind of, I'm still being very, like, thinking about all of it. And then we kind of came back out and I just remember, like, taking a moment and standing in the sanctuary and just being like, I'm here. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not back to normal. It doesn't take away from any of the losses that have taken place, but this is real. Yeah. We made it through. Yeah. If it really was like a, to me, that was a very big demonstration of like, this is what kind of staying with it and like yeah. not, not giving in to that despair. I was very like in that moment, standing in, in that room, I was very emotional and I was like trying not to, <laughs> I mean, thank goodness I was wearing a mask so that John Allen wouldn't see You're like weeping. It. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Whether they'd been a part of collective pre COVID or they were new post COVID I think so many people had that moment where they stood in this building, lobby, maybe even the parking lot, auditorium, and they just like took this deep breath and were like, I didn't know how much I needed this. I didn't know how important this is. I didn't know because you, you just don't like when you're in it, you're in it, you know? And I remember for me, like that first worship song, I'm just like weeping. There was a part of it where it was the grit. I can't believe we made it through mm-hmm. 52 this week this group of like 12 of us mm-hmm. you know but it was it was that but it was more that like I was very unaware of just how much I needed this community my brain is very aware mm-hmm. that I need community it was just my heart that was like oh we're not meant to do this alone mm-hmm. right we talk we say it but like there was that tangible feeling while you're there going no, we're not supposed to do this in isolation. We're, this 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 past year, you know, the the lockdown portion, the the not being together portion, that is very much not how God created us. But what's weird is like while we might know that mentally or even like biblically, I think a lot of people still had to have that kind of reckoning moment where they're like, oh crap. And you are you specifically because you lost your father and just the way that like you know you said we did it we did a, a small funeral service but it was a few people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked a lot about, like, honoring your dad. I think also that year, you know, kind of year plus for you, it kind of pushed you back into some of that, like, pre-collective days of, you know, not having community, not feeling like you belong. And it's like, you know, again, mentally, I think you always knew that you belong here. But also, like, when you're not around, you're like, do I? I think if I think if anything, it was when I started coming back. I don't have that same feeling yeah. of connection that I did before, and yeah. I mean, some of that was also just because it wasn't West Frederick. Yeah, it's just know? different. It's just different. It, th- that is the grieving process, right? Like we, I'm so thankful for the years we had at West Frederick when we opened this building, which was supposed to be this like relief. You know, that we got through the wilderness into the promised land. That's when I bottomed out mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally. It was like. I'm not well. And again, knowing I'm not well through those 52 weeks, but then getting to the tipping point where like, I'm not well. So I don't necessarily look back at that and go, oh man, I'm so thankful for that. But, you know, for everybody, life changed. And for some people it was like, here's a change and here's a change and here's a change and here's a change. And you can't, you couldn't just walk back into it and go, well, everything's fine again. You know, COVID definitely pressed on that, brought a lot of things to the surface that we knew or a lot of things to the surface that we needed to deal with. 
Um, and it's kind of that, that whirlwind of it. So, you know, when you, you started coming back to like, I think, again, we tried to convince you to attack again and you were like, I did try it this yeah. time, but it was, I, there, there's a huge, I think there's a weird misconception of like that production, like video production, media production, there's this conception that production is all the same, but live yeah. broadcast is very different from yeah. the kind of media production that I'm used to. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't take the the stress of it. Yeah. You know, I was still working for Duo at that time, so it was like I obviously I'll be involved in that, but I will happily do anything else that I possibly yeah. can, like from the production side on the post yep. side of it, and yep. that's how I ended up doing the the little midweek yep. videos. Yep. So. You started doing some of the behind the scenes stuff again for us. For about three years, you've been doing our midweeks reels that we post on Instagram, which made it like when we when we decided this Your Story Matters series, I think there was always the assumption you would be involved because we knew there'd be some media and Duo would do, you know, the, the big videos we posted originally. But you and I like connected because you were doing a podcast. I do which, I have a podcast. Yeah, which is about... It's about Stranger Things. Yeah, and it's called <laughs> Coffee and Contemplation. You should you should listen to it. It's incredible. <laughs> um, we always knew you'd be involved, but with you having a podcast and it being really well done, you and I had the conversation of like, "Hey, I, I, I know you're going to help us with like video stuff and all this because it'll be the lifelong project, but like, would you be willing to edit this for us?" And for me, it was kind of the both and. One, I knew what you put together is great. And two, I just, knowing you as a person, knew that you would absolutely cherish and honor the process of editing these podcasts down. Now, I do need to say this to everybody listening. You know, right now, Robin and I have been recording. We're at 90 minutes, right? And by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll probably be closer to maybe an hour, hour 10. Um, every once in a while, we record and then Robin's like, hey, this has to be a two-parter, so we kind of have to do some yeah. post-production on it. Yeah. So when you listen to the podcast, there's a lot of editing that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is just like dead space or I get really super tangential sometimes, and it's like, Robin, just cut all that out. We don't <laughs> do that. Um, sometimes, though, the editing was people had like extremely emotional moments in this room, and it wasn't taking the emotion out it's, hey, we created space where people cried for a few minutes. And, you know, then you receive this raw foot or raw uh, audio and like you're listening and you're hearing the emotion before it goes out and you're hearing the pain before it goes out. Most people sat down and they'd never told all of it. You know, they had told bits and pieces through stages of their life. And there you are receiving all this. So one of the questions I want to ask you, just because you have the unique experiences, what was it like being on that side of it? Um, one, knowing that not just collective, but every person that sat at this table trusted you to, to care for their story. But what was it like hearing all these things before anybody else did? And, and kind of what was that process like? It was hard. <laughs> I mean, I think really that's exactly what it was. Taking, it was just, it was a lot of responsibility. I think, for one thing, when I do my own podcast, I'm one of the hosts, so I'm used to being in the room and taking in all of that. Yeah. So getting it all and having to, I had to listen, I, ha, I generally have to listen to the episodes multiple times because I have to just hear the whole thing. Because very often what would happen is, like, if I tried to just edit as I went, it would be a case of, someone would say something and I'm like, that's extraneous. It doesn't, it's cool, but it doesn't need to be part of this particular narrative. But then they'd bring it up later and it would be really important. So it was kind of having to listen through, kind of just generally like take out any of the, any of the extraneous stuff of like, oh wait, I gotta go back and talk about whatever. But then kind of having to listen to the whole thing and then get a sense of what is the whole picture and then go back through and figure out what is what is the overall story we're trying to tell as far as the faith journey and how the personal, you know, side stories relate to that. And yeah, sometimes it was easier than others. But yeah, mostly it was knowing that I was essentially this sort of caretaker. Yeah, 100%. And the responsibility of that was huge. I'm also not used to quite so many people listening like my yeah. my, my podcast is it, it like it's fine i have a pretty decent listenership at this point but 
your story matters is an entirely yeah. different different animal. And so knowing that kind of there was pressure, but it was also just having to get into that objective space of, yeah, what is the story we're trying to tell? Yeah. You know, both whoever's on the podcast, but also thinking about it as a whole. What is the overall goal of collective of this podcast as part of collective? And then how do those two things combine? And yeah, I mean, sometimes I couldn't, I tried to do two in a day sometimes. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. I just couldn't because they were too heavy. Yeah. I mean, in a way, my experience wasn't all that different from anyone else who's been listening all along in that. I learned things that I didn't know because I wasn't in the room. And then you kind of gave me free reign. Like you didn't really give me any, I mean, occasionally you would say, <laughs> give me one or two pieces of like direction. Yeah. But, mo but I mean, starting from jump, it was like, uh -huh. have at it. Yeah. And that was a little bit different. I know, you wanted more direction from me, but. <laughs> but well, but early on, yeah. it, it, clearly that wasn't going to be how it worked. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And so for me, it became a question of, I need to get you a cut faster so that you can give me feedback. But then even then, most of the time it was like, hey, maybe cut like this one minute, yeah. cut this part. Yeah. Other than that, we're good. So it was kind of like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I it's funny because I, I, we always tell people, hey, we'll send it to Robin. Robin will listen to it for the first time. She'll listen again and start, she'll take notes, she'll start cutting out stuff, the easy stuff. Then typically there's one more where she goes, okay, this is now an hour and 40 minutes. What are the next level of things? Then then it gets to me. And most of the time, like I was listening to it and it was like with an editing sense, but it, but it was really for me, like I was listening to a podcast and, um, you know, we did sometime bulk record it in advance. So sometimes I'm listening to it going, man, I totally forgot about that. There's still things that I learned about people that have been a part of collective for years. I'm like, I never thought, or or really, like, I never put those things together, you know. And, um, you know, the journey has been incredible. It's been insane. Um, I think, yeah. Robin, you and I probably talk or message every day. There are definitely times where going into it, I sent very short messages saying, "Hey, just a heads up. Um, this one goes from zero to one hundred immediately yeah you know and it's just been this incredible thing where you have had the opportunity to love and care for these people as the editor and, and have shaped so much of what we do when it comes to even how we record where we upload things as we think about season two you and i are already having conversations about okay like what are some things that we need to do and, and the goal you mentioned a lot of people listen to it and um, it has been incredible, you know, it, the reach is actually wide as well. And, but one of the things that you and I talked about in the beginning was we never wanted this podcast to be viral. Mm -hmm. Um, we never wanted this to be a national thing because while we do believe people can hear these stories and their lives can be changed, because number one, our goal is that every single person that hears this podcast believes a little bit more in Jesus, has a little stronger faith, or if they didn't have it, they start going, maybe I can mm -hmm. have this. But we've said, like, you know, if a bunch of people from Nevada feel that, like, there's not much we can do about that here in Frederick. Yeah. And um, I think one of the things that you've done really well on this podcast was you allowed the story to be the story versus trying to make it more salacious or more viral or more, you know, because I think that we see that a lot in social media where people, like, isolate this one clip and, you know, don't stop watching this video because this terrible thing happens. And it's like, yeah, like, a lot of these podcasts, like, there's terrible things that happen, but it was never about that one moment. And it was always about the fullness of what God has done and is doing. And I think that, you know, it's one thing for us to say that's the goal, but as the person who puts it together, like you've just done such a great job of honoring the story from start to finish, the weird stuff, the random stuff, you know, the, the you know, derails that we often took over the past year. And so... You know, I'll say this now before we get to the very end of this. Everybody who has sat at this table knows that you've cared for their story. They know that they feel that. I know many of them um, have shouted you out on like the pre-recording before we cut all that stuff out, which actually yeah. goes back to our COVID days of yeah. shout outs every time we recorded. But I will say this, <laughs> and Robin, you might not like this. Man, if you've loved this podcast over the past year, you feel like this podcast has touched your heart. I do a lot to say, hey, make sure to go up to the people that shared their stories and thank them for their vulnerability. But I would say the same is true for you. And Robin doesn't want you to like bear hug her as a surprise. 
Um, maybe it's just a quick like wink, nod, you know, thumbs up because we're so thankful to people that share the stories, but without you editing them and putting them together and caring about the stories, I don't think we get what we get in the end. And so, especially because just to be honest, there were some recordings that we had that, and again, you all don't know this as listeners, some of the recordings were four, five, six hours. Um, and we did everything we could to honor as much of that as we could. And I don't think you as listeners knew that. Now, some of it was easy to cut because it was like, you know, in the middle of it, me and somebody starts talking about like video games or something. Right. Like, Let's remove that crap out. But um, I'm just so thankful that you've put so much care into this. And I don't think the podcast is the podcast without you. But also, honestly, I don't think it is what it is without what you've been through and you caring so much about the process, not just of editing, but like the process that we have as people. Um, it's like, you know, I think you were the exact perfect person to edit this thing. And um, so I'm thankful for that. I know how hard it's been. It's been a real honor. Like I feel very, I feel, I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to, to do it and for it to have come into my life at the time that it did. And yeah, I mean, I've been, I've just been blown away by everybody's vulnerability. I really have. And it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a real honor. Yeah. You've crushed it. Well, so let's, you know, this is just a normal Your Story Matters podcast with a little bit of extra flavor to it. Yeah. (laughs) But let's talk about wisdom and advice. And if you could give us some wisdom, some advice, some, something that people can hold on to. And this could be like for you personally, it could also be as somebody who's edited 50 plus episodes but if you had some like wisdom and advice for everybody listening what would it be so i'm gonna i'm gonna do a nerdy thing so i have a poster on my wall that is actually it's a it's a poster and it's a quote from the legend of zelda which i do not play i'm not a video gamer that's like my one like blind spot on my nerd card but i had a dream once that was i i was right before a big transition in my life and i have a slight phobia about bridges and so I had this dream where I was about to cross this bridge and it in this this guy was there and it was it was absolutely Jesus I know that. Yeah. And but in the dream it was sort of like what are you doing here? And very pragmatic he was just like it's dangerous to go alone. I did not know that that phrase was from Legend of Zelda. Wow. I'm here to help you over this bridge. This is just what we're going to do. Yeah. I'm just I'm going to guide you over. And so ever since then I woke up and I re- and then I learned that it was that that's a phrase from Legend of Zelda. Very different connotation, frankly. <laughs> sure. But that phrase has actually become a very like cornerstone of what my faith is. It's like and that's that's what baptism was for me. Yeah. It was because I didn't have the big like emotional moment of like, "Oh, I feel like this changed person" because that wasn't for me. That wasn't the point. It was you're still you. Yeah. That's okay. It's just you're not alone anymore. Yeah. Jesus is with you through it. And I do think that even as much as I struggled during lockdown right after that-ish, that was what got me through it. Mm. Like all the things that got me through it came back to that. And so I think the thing that I still struggle with now is still that. And that's why it's like this thing I look to as well because, and that's why I use it as the piece of wisdom is because I think that's what the podcast has all been about too, is like no tell people, talk to people, reach out, even if it scares the absolute crap out of you, yeah. do it anyway. Because that's going to be, even if that the, the person you're reaching out to is in fact Jesus, but usually for me, if I did that, usually then somebody would manifest in my life. And the challenge then for me was talk to them, actually open up. Yeah. Don't lean into that. I'm a burden place. It's tell them anyway. Yeah. Even say, I feel like a burden because I would do that sometimes. And then the reaction was from this other person was, I'm okay. And to not let that fear of they're going to be hurt and I'm going to, sure. I'm going to bring pain to them. It's like, don't decide that for them, you know? And I think if that's something that, you know, I know that that's not easy for everybody. That was not easy for me growing up, but it's, it's like, fine. That's the goal is to try to find a place where you can not feel alone to yeah. actually speak up. But that's, I guess that would be, that would be it. That's awesome. Um, all right. So last question. Uh, if you had a Bible verse or a few verses, things that you hold on to or 
um, you know, as this comes out in our marked series, right? The verses that kind of mark us and sit in our soul. What would that verse be? So the truth is, it's it's really Luke eight twenty five, but it's kind of that whole section. Sure. It's really that whole story of Jesus calms the storm. Yep. But really, it's I mean, it's exactly what I said. It's then he asked them, "Where is your faith?" Mm. And really, that's not all of the verse, but it's that's I mean, really, that's that's been the crux of my last three yeah. years. And I I had always heard it as like this admonishment, yep. like this like. Yep you know, I'm chastising you. Yeah. And it's like, but this experience of the last three years was more of like, where is it? Yeah, I'm right here. So that for me, that's, I think about that very often. That's what I think about when I look at my baptism photo. Yeah. 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 Robin, when we first set out to do this podcast, one of the things that you and I talked about was potentially you sharing your story. And, you know, we had, we had talked about, you know, is this episode just about editing? And what that's been like and and we had talked about whether or not you even felt like you had a story to share um, and I think everybody listening today will be thankful for both um, not just your story and who you are and what you mean to other people and what you mean to this church and how you've helped create a church where people can belong um, but also how you've as you put it, I think the best phrase has been the caretaker of this podcast and these stories and when when we set out to do this I knew 100% that like this was going to be a journey that you and I took together mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for you uh, not just your technical skills not just your creativity like all those <laughs> things that you struggled with growing up like I, I, we couldn't have done any of that but it's it's more that you're you and you honor the story you honor the faith you honor the discomfort and you understand why these people's stories truly do matter and so Robin thank you for everything I'm excited for season two. Season two, man. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a little bit easier than the last one. Um, but I know it's going to continue to be wonderful because you're going to be behind the scenes taking care of it for us. So, Robin, thank you for everything. Thank you. Thank you.